Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I salute you with the blessing words of grace, mercy, and peace. May they be multiplied unto you. We welcome you uh, to the Bible study of T.L. Eliot Ministries. I am Apostle Elliot, uh, who will be uh, speaking to you on tonight, and we thank God uh, for this consistent Bible study uh, that we have been on for quite a period of time for those who have been following from the beginning. And in that, I'm referring to the subject that we're uh, addressing and looking at, which is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. And as I always remind each and every one regarding uh, this teaching, um, I believe in first reminding you uh, the name of the book, uh, which it comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means to reveal or have unveiled. Amen. Uh, and in that, we have to understand based on Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, what is being revealed or unveiled to you. As I always tell people, you need to know why you believe what you believe and why you do what you do. And so in that, uh, we, we, we first look at the who and the why even when it comes to the book of Revelation. Of course, the who is Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it declares this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we know the who and we know uh, uh, um, um, what is happening. There's a revelation or there's a revealing that is, is happening. But now the punchline is the why. And the why is in order for us to have a real relationship with him, i.e. be further along in our life than just knowing who the man is, but having a relationship with him that we're not shacking with his anointing, but marrying it. Um, we as believers have to keep this harmony line to understand that this book wasn't given to us just to give us doom and gloom of the end days, but to give us power and boom of our eternity. And as we began to understand that what God is really conveying to us through John the Revelator as he writes, he begins to unveil to us in this season how significant Jesus is. You think about it for those who are listening, and I, I keep going back to this uh, uh, um, um, story or I keep going back to this illustration because I want you to really embrace what this is all about. Those of us that have relationships, we don't we don't marry or come in covenant with people just because of the external. We come in covenant with people 
not just external, but also for the internal. That's why people court people. That's why people say, I want to get to know you. Getting to know you isn't just about what are your dimensions. Getting to know you isn't just about what you eat. Getting to know you is to know the essence of the spirit of the individual that animates the body that you've become attracted to. And see, in that, Jesus has had a body that we been attracted to based on the Gospels. But this brings us into the place of understanding why we're attracted to the body. It's not the body of the man, it was the spirit of the man. This is what Revelation is giving to us in preparation for us to be married to him. We need to be like him. We need to know him. So in that, that keeps us in the mindset focused as we continue on the book of Revelation. Now we're here tonight, picking back up in Revelation chapter 21, amen? Revelation chapter 21, and those who may have received my Bible study notes regarding this, I call Revelation 21, the new heaven and the new earth. The new heaven and the new earth, amen? Uh, in our previous teaching, um, I covered verses one through three, and and if I may, I would just read through those quickly and kind of uh, uh, gloss over them in order for us to pick up on tonight with verse four. Amen. But in Revelation chapter 21, verse one, it says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. All right. As I remind you that are listening, the one who is speaking is John the Revelator. We're believing this is one of the apostles that was consecrated by Christ who's talking. He's, he's the one that is receiving the vision. And he says, and I saw meaning I was able to perceive, I was able to discern, he says, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I remind you, here what we're talking about is not a brand new one that came from nothing. The word that is used here in this verse for new is kainos, all right? As a reminder for those who were in the last Bible study, as well as those who may be new listening, there's two Greek words for new. One word is neos, which means to create anew, to come from nothing or to come out of, uh, out of nothing to make something. All right. Kainos, however, is not something being made new. Kainos is in association with cosmetic reconstruction. When I say cosmetic reconstruction, I remind you, uh, and I'm, I'm just using a simple example, a man, uh, if a car uh, starts to fade with the paint job, you don't demolish the car and necessarily go buy a brand new one just because the paint is peeling. What you end up doing is having the vehicle repainted, okay? So in that, Kainos is a cosmetic work, some things getting fixed 
and restored back to the way that they were originally made. You know, uh, sometimes we do that with furniture. We, we will restore furniture. So Kanos is a term of new, which is an association with restoration. So the scripture says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So God says, I, I'm restoring the universe and I am restoring the earth back to the state that it was originally created for. And he says, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I reminded everyone as we're talking in the book of Revelation, we have to understand the consistency of the metaphors that are used. Sea here is not talking about water. Sea here is talking about mankind. We began to look at that and understand that when, when we look at uh, 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 Second Peter uh, 3.13 uh, in comparison uh, as well as in some of the previous texts in the book of Revelation that we have looked at when it said uh, uh, when it was uh, referring to the sea uh, as John saw a sea of men. Okay, we're also reminded that that also goes all the way back to the Old Testament when God spoke to Abraham, he said, your generations will be as the sands of the sea, uh, un, you know, uh, uh, unnumerable. Okay, so in that, he says this, in verse 2, he says, and I, John, saw the holy city, which was New Jerusalem. Remember, holy city means consecrated or what has been separated, what has, what has paid a price, what has been purified. He says, I saw the holy city or kingdom, which is the New Jerusalem or Yerushalayim, which came down from God out of heaven. All right. And he said it was prepared, meaning that it was made ready as a bride. All right. So the new Jerusalem went through a preparation process in order uh, to represent or emulate what a bride is or being married to Christ. OK, then it says uh, uh, it was prepared as a bride uh, adorned for her husband. All right. Now, remember this, uh, as the scripture says, adorn, it means to put in order. So there's a preparation to be a bride, which requires order to be put into the life of one that is about to get married. Y'all got to understand this, even in the state of uh, the culture under the Hebraic life of being uh, married when a man chooses the bride and he goes back to prepare the mansion at his father's house for the bride to come live. The bride is getting her life in order by learning how to be a bride for the groom. You got to understand this is what, what's being speak, spoken. There's a metaphor here that we have to understand the culture of marriage that was, was talked about in this time frame in order to really grab the revelation of what he's saying. So the bride that descends is prepared, uh, or should I say the city that descends is prepared as a bride in order to show those who are yet to be part of the bride 
what a bride looks like. Y'all got to get what I'm saying. It's more though, or it's deeper than what I'm saying, what a bride physically looks like. It's what a bride spiritually looks like. People begin to make a transition as to what they are supposed to be based on what they see displayed to them. Okay, there has to be a demonstration, i.e. the bride or should I say the new Jerusalem that descends, descends still in the teaching format. For those who may not know or understand what teaching is about, especially uh, from scriptural culture, teaching is not about regurgitating information to people. It ties a second piece to uh, uh, what you are performing. All right. And as I say that, it's one thing to give information. It's another thing to demonstrate the information that you give. So teaching requires not only giving information, but being able to demonstrate what you're te what you're teaching or what information you're relaying. So so understand this. The new Jerusalem begins to descend and it's it's prepared uh, and adorned, put in order to show order. Okay, so then the scripture says, once again, he says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Or watch this. What it really says is that the body of God is with men. Okay, if you if you haven't caught that, remember in first Corinthians six nineteen and first Corinthians three sixteen, Paul says, did you not know that your body is the temple? of the living God and the spirit of God dwells in you. So he says your body is a temple. The scripture says clearly right here, it says the tabernacle of God is with men. So it says the body of God is with men. Watch this. What it really begins to speak to us is the transformation that we are, 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 are now able to see and walk out. If you think about it as Jesus resurrected, he put on a new body, okay? As Paul has spoken over and over in the epistles, he talks about us having a new body, okay? This is what he is saying when the tabernacle of God dwells with men. He says, now you have a transformed body that's with you and you are with it, okay? Says, Right here, he says he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. They shall be his people. Watch this. Not his nation. Notice it says they shall be his people or his tribe or his populace. They shall be him multiplied in the earth. That's the reality of it, because now as his people, they are no longer a nation unto him. Remember, nation uh, is the term uh, for Gentile, which is a term that's in association uh, with heathen or people that have no relationship with him. Now we're at a place that he says when the new Jerusalem descends, there is a relationship with him because now the relationship is not just one uh, 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 by spirit. It's also one by body. Everything or the totality of the new Jerusalem and those in the earth realm that are with him are with him completely, both body, soul and mind. OK, now now it brings us to verse verse four on tonight. And it says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. 
And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, colon, for the former things are passed away. Okay, so what it says here in the verse, she says there's a lot of things that won't be anymore because former things have passed away. Former things, watch this, what he's declaring are the critical pivotal piece that keeps holding people to their old self. I like how uh, uh, in Isaiah 43, it says, Behold, I shall do a new thing and it shall spring forth. All right. Now I need you to hold on to that in your head. All right. In the same turn, Jesus says you can't put new wine in old skids. All right. I'm fixed to make a connection for you. All right. There has to be a transformation and a new way of thinking and a new way of living in order for us to be where God wants us to be. All right. Watch this. If we're going to live with God in eternity, then that means we have to begin to have eternal thinking. If we're going to live with God, who is a spirit, we have to have spiritual thinking. So as long as we hold on to natural thinking or physical things, then there will uh, it will cause us not to be able to advance into preparation for eternity as a bride. Okay? There's some things that we have to be able to let go of in order for us to be transformed. Listen to what the verse said. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. All right, so what he says is all of all those things will no longer exist in your life when the old things have passed away, when the old things have no longer uh, remained as residue in your mind, when the old things no longer direct the direction of your life moving forward into godly things. So, so in this, he says, I shall wipe away all tears. What he's saying is in wiping away tears, in removing death, in removing sorrow, in removing crying, uh, 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 in removing pain, he says the physical and the emotional things become no more of an impact in your life. Physical and emotional things are what's stunning your growth and not letting you get into a spiritual place. See, for those who were part of this Bible study, when we were looking at the beginning of Revelation, from Revelation chapter 1 up to chapter 4, what I brought to your attention is that when, when, when Jesus began to deal with John on the island of Patmos, uh, Jesus dealt with him on physical things. One, his physical appearance to prove that he was one and the same Jesus that John dealt with when he was walking with him uh, earlier in the 30s of the 30 A.D. period, because we know Jesus died or was crucified in the year of 33 A.D. So John and the boys was walking with Jesus around 30 A.D. 
All right. So, so, so in that he dealt with John on physical things. He dealt with John on church mess. He dealt with John on all those things as well as spiritual sons that he had left, i.e., as the scriptures say, uh, the letters that went to the angels of the seven churches of Asia, Asia, which the angels were the messengers or the pastors of the bishops that John had put in place over those churches, over those regions. All right. So, so in that, notice that he dealt with him on physical things. And then chapter four of Revelation, we discover that he says now come up hither so now a door of opportunity was opened up to John to carry John into the spiritual place that we have been on this journey with from Revelation chapter 4 up to Revelation chapter 21 where we are now all the way through to Revelation chapter 22 once we get there so there is a spiritual place that God wants to get us to but we have to get our physical mess out of the way watch this that's what he brings to our attention by what he tells John here. There's some physical mess that we still hold on to. There is some emotional stuff that we're still holding on to. But see, when we see the new Jerusalem, when we see the, the consecrated or the holy city descend, it gives us a model as to what we need to look like when we become spiritual beings that are transformed. When we begin to see what it's like to be spiritual beings transformed, then he says all the old things of you can pass away. No longer will you be in a place uh, 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 that you got tears. And understand, as he says, I wipe away tears, he says, I erase them or I blot them out. They are no longer a significant identity to you as a human being. Then he says, there's shall be no more death. Watch this. The word death is thanatos, which is in reference to the dying or the passing away of the body. That no longer becomes significant at this time. Then it says, neither sorrow. Understand, sorrow is penthos, which means uh, a mourning or grief. So he says mourning or grief no longer becomes significant because there's nothing else that is going to be impacting the body of Christ at this time to cause them to really uh, 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 suffer or have grief from because they're not being denied the true and living God. See, the thing is, in our emotion of our human nature, we suffer uh, uh, grief and sorrow because of attachments that we have in the natural. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Right now, your, your demonstration of grief and sorrow is based upon natural things that we're attached to. So when natural things are lost or natural things have to be let go, those that we've become so attached to, now we have sorrow and grief regarding them because they're not making us happy anymore or not meeting what is the need of, of our own ownership of that being in our life. Okay, so what he says here is no longer do you have sorrow and grief. Then he says, nor crying, all right, or an outcry or a clamor. There's no, no unnecessary noise, a chatter that comes from you based on being in a place of grief anymore. All right. Then he says, neither shall there be any more pain. Now watch this. We're not talking about pain like ouch, because somebody hurt me. You have to understand the word pain that's used here is poinos, 
which means trouble or great trouble. So he says, there'll be no more great trouble that shall come along. Okay. For watch this. The former things have passed away or departed. All right. The former things, watch this, are no longer available to you or to those that the scripture is referring to who now have seen the model of the bride. Now, now it carries us to verse five, verse five. In verse 5, it says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Okay, so now, here in verse 5, the scripture says, And he that sat, alright, meaning he that resided or he that dwelled on the throne or in the seat of power, Okay, because when we talk about sat, sat is kathamai in the Greek, which means not just to sit, but it means to dwell or to reside. Okay, uh, so he that resides on the throne, throne is thronos, which once again means see the power, said or was speaking, he legoed, uh, uh, he enunciated by saying, behold, meaning activate your spiritual eyes. Okay, understand this. If, if, I, if I can still bring some more revelation, some clarity to whoever is listening. As he says to behold, the, the Greek word is ido, which means to see. But you got to understand when he tells you to behold, he's talking to the prophetic eyesight. He's talking more than what your physical eyesight. He would have said uh, uh, see, S-E-E -E, versus behold. Seeing is just about your natural sight. Beholding once again, is about your spiritual sight being activated uh, beyond your natural sight. So when he said, behold, he says, I want you to discern something right now. He says, I make all things, meaning everything individually new. New once again is still consistent with the word kanos that was used in Revelation 21 verse 1. Remember, I just previously said, he says, I make a new heaven and a new earth. The word kanos is used versus neos. All right. So he says right here, I, I, I make everything restored. Let me put that in clarity. He says, based on what you're about to see or discern with your spiritual eyes is me doing a work of restoration. So now everything that I've done, I've restored. I have put it in, as some would say, uh, a, a multi or an alternate universe, a universe now where everything is on course again. I didn't destroy it and make a brand new one. I just 
just shifted you in the timeline so that now everything is restored. Watch this. I'm bringing you out of the paradox that you're living in right now. I know some people may be familiar with, with uh, as we say, with comics and, and with sci-fi and so forth. I'm using terminology that the 21st century is familiar with. When you get into stuff like the TV shows, The Flash or so forth, they talk about a paradox in which some things have shifted and they're not on the right course that they should be on. So God says, I'm shifting you out of the paradox that you've been living, i.e. since sin and unrighteousness and flesh have been living with you in this reality, I'm about to shift you back into the right reality where those things were as if they never existed. Those things have passed away because I've lined up time so that now what has been important to you in this wrong living world is now no longer important to you because you're living according to the spiritual world that I originally designed. Okay. So, so he says that, and then verse five, uh, uh, in, in the set, in the next part of that verse, he says, and he said unto me, right. For these words are true and faithful. Now, there's something you've got to remember when he told John to write. That word write is deeper than everybody gives credit. The Greek word for write is grapho, which as we understand means to write, but it also means to describe or inscribe. All right. So as God or he that is on the throne is speaking to John and telling him to write. He's telling him to describe what he has heard or seen, but yet describe it based on it being engraved within him. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you, you got to not only write this thing, but this thing got to be written within you. Once it's written within you, you're able to bring it out of you by inscribing it on something for somebody else to read. And as they read it, it now becomes part of them because now their intent will be to put it in them. That's why even when David said, hide the word in your heart, he's saying inscribe it in your thoughts inscribe it in the essence of who you are so john is describing this in the essence of who he is and it is engrafted okay so in that we're still here he says these words are true and faithful so so he turns around and tells john what i've given you to describe and what now becomes a part of you don't worry about if you got a question if it's real don't worry about if you got a question if you're out of your mind or if you you saw something or heard something that you misinterpreted what he's telling john is this is foundational because when he said faithful or, or, or when he says this is true and faithful he says true meaning trustworthy when he said 
faithful, he says it is assured. It is without a question. So it's without a question what John has now seen and what John has now heard spoken that it is unquestionable that it is the truth. What he's what he's really uh, uh, maybe have been struggling with is the fact of realizing the paradox of the life that we have been living in was now an altered truth that's now being corrected to what it should really look like. So from that point, it brings me to verse six, verse six, it says, and he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Okay, can we, can we look at this verse? Verse 6, the scripture says, And he said unto me, after he tells John to write that this is faithful and true, then he, he, he speaks to John again. He says, It's done. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, you should ask yourself, you know, hmm. He's turned to John, then he says, it is done. Why does he say it is done? Okay, we have to understand what's, what he's referring to. Alright, because right here, he's not referencing a completed action. Y'all get what I'm saying? Because there's still the rest of chapter 21 and chapter 22. All right. So what is he talking about when he just out of the blue says it is done? He just told John, y'all really got to grab what I'm saying here. He first talks about old things passing away and our physical and our emotional things being the hindrances. He says, write these things. Then he turns around and says, it's done. Okay. I'm trying to get you somewhere. I'm trying to give you a revelation of something. When he says it is done, he brings back to John's remembrance something that was said earlier in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, slain from the foundation of the world. Okay. The revelation I'm trying to give you is the fact that this transition from the paradox to, to what is the true timeline of where God wants us to be back into the harmonious world that he created and designed for us to live in without our errored fleshly desires, our physical inadequacies, is he reminds John that this was set in motion at the foundation of the world. The scripture tells us that he was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, 
Some are, are saying, Apostle, where, where are you making this connection? Why, how, how are you making this connection that this goes back to him being slain from the foundation of the world? Where the revelation comes is the fact of the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse, now, all of a sudden, out the blue, he throws in an Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That, that, that does not flow with the previous verses of this chapter. Alright? He reminds John that he was slain from the foundation of the world because he says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Let, let, let me really, really break that down to you. He says, I'm Alpha, which means first, and Omega, which means last. Alright? Uh... In that, we can take that from the literal sense. He says, I'm the beginning of the cycle and I'm the end of the cycle. I'm where everything started and I'm where everything will end. All right. Now, what's profound, though, is that he doesn't just say Alpha and Omega. He says, I'm the beginning and the end. All right. Now, those that are listening to me are saying, well, wait a minute. Alpha and Omega means beginning and the end. Then he says... I am the beginning and the end. Well, why does he repeat himself by giving the Greek words here of Alpha and Omega? Then he, he turns around and gives uh, the same terms again. Because, watch this. Notice this. If you were translating verse 6 from the Greek, Alpha and Omega are already Greek words that mean beginning and end. However, the word beginning and end that follows are not translated from Alpha and Omega. Alright? The word beginning is translated from Arche, which is another Greek word, which means to start or consummate or the consummation, the beginning of something. Then the word end is telos, which means limit, termination, or last in succession. Alright, now I'm bringing this uh, 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 to your attention in teaching because those are two different terminologies for, from the Greek for the word beginning and two different terminologies from the Greek from the word end. Let, let, let me throw another dynamic to that though because now we have to bring in, what was the Hebraic for that? The Hebraic word for beginning is uh, alif. And the word for ending is tav. Now, why am I bringing that to your attention? Well, recently I was doing some research regarding alpha and omega. And what astonished me in what I discovered was the fact that Alpha and Omega or Alif and Tav go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 in the, the word beginning. In, in Genesis 1 1 it says in the beginning God created heaven and the earth. The word beginning comes from the Hebrew word Bereshith. Alright? Bereshith. However, the Hebrew that we have is an evolution from the ancient Hebrew, which was really signs and symbols. Out of the signs and the symbols, what's profound 
is the symbols that make up the word Bersheath imply the son who will destroy the works of man's hands by the cross. Let me say that again. The ancient symbols or signs that evolved into the Hebraic word Bereshith is the sun will destroy the works of man's hands by the cross. All of that is in the word beginning. So watch this. He was slain from the foundation of the world. Watch this based upon him being the beginning. The symbols and the word beginning was already the prophetic word that spoke to our destiny through Christ in AD 33 to get us where we are now. That's why he was slain from the foundation of the world because him being the beginning the beginning symbolized him breaking the works of man's hands by being put on a cross. The word beginning implies a covenant that he made for us before us was even made. So now, now we can, we can really understand what he is saying here in Revelation 21, verse 6, he's reminding John that he is the same one that was in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And watch this. He brings John pretty much out of amnesia because if we're believing this is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, he said in his own gospel, John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John didn't even know at that time how profound the word beginning was that he was using from a spiritual perspective to write the gospel according to himself about Jesus, that it mirrored what Jesus was or what the son was in Genesis chapter one, verse one. And what's so profound is even the Hebraic theologians didn't catch this up until recent understanding and looking back at the ancient text because even as they were doing translations of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 believe it or not when it came to the Hebraic words for in the beginning the the, the letter Alif and Tav were thrown in there and they didn't even know what the significance was it wasn't really translated. It, it, they were just two letters that were thrown in that nobody knew why they were in the midst of the verse. But they were speaking towards his covenant or his predestined plan before the world came into existence. So now John, here in a spiritual place, 
is really receiving a real revelation what he wrote and what was read in the ancient text of Genesis 1.1. So now he says to him, you, you should really be grabbing this now. He says, he said to me, it is done. He's referring once again to him being slain before the foundation of the world by making the covenant for the destiny of man in order to get the universe back on order. So then he turns around and says, why, why was it done at the foundation of the world it's because I am the Alpha and Omega that made me able to make the covenant to fix restoring this world into the place that it needs to be in order to be my bride amen 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 so he says he says I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end Period. Then he says, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the waters of life freely. So now that he reminds us of the covenant, he reminds us of who he is based upon the word beginning. He says, I will give or I will grant or I will yield unto him that is thirsty. Those who are thirsty are those who have a desire that need to be met within themselves regarding what they see in front of them or is presented. You know what I'm saying? You think about this. Many of you, if you went in the kitchen, a lot of times you'll sit down and then somebody puts a pitcher of water or a pitcher of lemonade in front of you. And then they say, are you thirsty? If you're thirsty, get some. So uh, some people don't know they thirst until they see what can quench the thirst. And some uh, 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 don't know that their thirst can be met until somebody offers what can meet the need of the thirst. So. He sets himself in front of those who are eligible and says, if you're thirsty, you can have some. If you're thirsty, he says, I will give of you of the fountain or the spring of, watch this, not just plain water. He says the water of life or the water that comes from the life force, i.e. life is the Greek word Zoe, which means uh, life eternal. It's the resurrected life form or the life force. So he says, I will give you uh, the life force freely. Now, here's something significant that some can catch when I'm talking about freely as well. The word freely is Dorian, which means without a cause. All right. In depth with that, he says not just without a cause, but without limit, without any cost if, that, that, that is associated with it. All right. Because watch this. There was a price that was already paid to get to the place that you can get this for free. Okay, so he says, if you think about this with water, 
water is overwhelming. Nobody can just say, well, give me a drop of water and it'll be sufficient. Water comes in abundance and in overflow. It's like David said, my cup runneth over. So, so what he says is this life force is something that is in abundance and overflow that will overwhelm you because it's more than you. So he says, I give you this freely because watch this, him that is a thirst now, he's in the right timeline of the earth. It's in the right state in order for him to drink it without warring within himself or being in conflict. Because remember, as I just said here in the previous part of the verse, all of your physical and your emotional things that you struggle with that have caused you not to drink the water of life no longer are a hindrance to you. They are no longer a thorn to your side to cause you not to want Christ. They are no longer a thorn in your side to cause you not to be in right standing with God. They're no longer a thorn in your side that's tainting your palate where you can't taste what you need to taste. The scripture says, come everyone, taste and see that the Lord is good. So at this point, he says, now you're restored in a place that you can taste me and know the goodness or the blessing or the benefit of being in me because no longer do you have blinders, no longer do you have your flesh in the way that you uh, 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 stumble and never make it to the water of life. Amen, 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 amen. I will just conclude right there. Uh, amen. And I pray that this has been beneficial to those who are listening on tonight. Amen, amen. So... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.